Hey everybody, Dr. G here. You're listening to Spirit Tales and Magic. We do apologize that we've been so long between episodes, but the end of this year has given us a lot of things we had to do, including, in case you haven't heard the podcast in a while, on November the 1st, I was actually pronounced dead. Fortunately, I didn't stay that way, but things like that do tend to cause one to have a lot of things to do. Tonight will be a little bit all over the place, but hopefully by the end you'll you'll know the reason why. And as always, we are not recording this year in the studio. We'll always be out in the field. So I am not in control of, you know, wonderful things like padded rooms and isolated mics and you're kind of hearing it very raw and unedited, which is the way we like it. There is indeed a world unseen. It's a world that's all around us, all the time. And every now and then, for whatever reason, we catch a glimpse of it, and the dead get in. My daughter wrote that, and I like it a lot. So I'm going to talk for a moment about ghost hunters. Five and a half decades, I'm in the paranormal investigation business long before it was cool and long before someone who will remain nameless and our lawyers are all listening, holding their breath. So I'm not going to say his name, but some paranormal investigators give folks like us a very bad name and you know who you are and you should stop doing that. While ghost hunters do exist, and if you don't believe that, just check your TV listings. The first question we should ask is whether the spectral beings that we investigate, or are hunting, if you will, actually do. Now, science will tell you that ghosts don't exist, or at least they don't exist in the form that would make them, well, huntable. If something can be seen, then it's made of atoms and energy. This is where the problem begins. Atoms contain electrons. The subatomic particle has strong repulsive force that can deflect other matter. That would mean that it cannot go through solid objects such as walls or any other solid object as ghosts are purported to do. So if ghosts are not comprised of atoms, they have to be made up of another material, perhaps neutrinos, weightless subatomic particles nicknamed the ghost particle. Unlike electrons, they have no electric charge or repulsive force against any other type of matter. They can pass through objects. Neutrinos, though, do not emit light or electromagnetic radiation and therefore cannot be seen. So their presence would in fact be undetectable. But sometimes belief trumps evidence, and that is why ghost hunters have been on the prowl for centuries. In 1882, Society for Psychiatrical Research formed to conduct scholarly research on the topic scholarly research on the topic. I wonder who invented that and what it meant in depth. 
The psychic Harry Price joined that organization in 1920 and became one of the most famous ghost hunters. And ever since then, as you well know, there have been literally hundreds of thousands and perhaps even millions of ghost stories and no shortage of ghost hunters to hunt them. Now, from time to time, before we get into a story, we say hi to some new friends. Sometimes the people who give us stories remain nameless, as will the person tonight, and you'll find out why later. On the new friends side of the story, Cassandra and I frequent a wonderful place downtown called Block 15. So, Kira, if you're listening, happy Christmas Eve. Another friend of ours called us today. She says, Doc, I've got a great ghost story and I want you to tell it. But you can't mention my name. We talked about that for a few minutes. I will give you the reason that I don't want to mention her name. This young lady is a brilliant restaurateur. She worked with me on a project called Illusions in Detroit and several times since then for other things. She's also a bit of an urban explorer and does tend to wander into places that she is not supposed to be. Now, I can't say anything about that, because if you follow this podcast, you know that Cassandra and I do occasionally wander off the beaten path and into places that could or could not be illegal for us to be in. So we're going to tell a couple of background things. We're going to talk for a moment about the Flying Dutchman. Now, the Dutchman is... is centuries old it, it's really a story they say about arrogance it, the popular version is that a ship's dutch captain and i believe it was hendrik uh, vanderdecken i believe if memory serves correctly he ignored the warnings of bad weather and he set sail around the southern tip of africa he wagered that if he failed to navigate his square rigger around the Cape of Good Hope, that he would not only condemn himself, but his entire crew to covering that stretch of water for an eternity. Vanderdecken failed, and since then, sailors passing through this stretch of water have reported seeing a ghostly ship glowing in the distance. Richard Wagner took the inspiration from this tale, and in 1843 created an opera, The Flying Dutchman. But another version of this story has it as a German captain named Falkenberg, sailing his ship, I believe, through the North Sea. He unwisely played dice with the devil. He lost and doomed himself and his entire crew to sail the icy waters for an eternity. Wagering one's soul in those of your crew seems to be a thing that mariners mistakenly do quite a bit. In Samuel Taylor Coleridge's 1798 poem, I believe it was called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, 
an elderly sailor tells a story of a trip where his crew kills an albatross, causing evil spirits to pursue the vessel. When the spirits catch up with the vessel, a wager was made, and of course lost, dooming the captain and the crew to sail the seas for an eternity. Now that urban legend exists almost everywhere. The names change, the countries change, the captains change. Which brings us to the Queen Mary. Now, Cassandra and I have spent an awful lot of time exploring ships, aircraft carriers, battleships, submarines, that sort of thing. May or may not have snuck into a graveyard or two and taken a few unguided tours on some ships. The Queen Mary is one that we've never been on. It was said to be one of the grandest ships ever built. Memory serves, she was about 1,019 feet long. Commissioned, I believe, by King George V and Queen Mary in around 1936. The vessel had five dining areas, lounges, two cocktail bars, two swimming pools, a grand ballroom, and even a squash court. There was also a small hospital on board. The British turned it into a troop ship during World War II, painted it gray, and called it the Grey Ghost. Now, you're going to hear the Grey Ghost about a lot of ships. Cassandra and I recently toured one that they nicknamed the Grey Ghost. It was the USS Lexington. And I can't remember one of the battleships that we were on, also called the Grey Ghost. The Lexington was not the original Grey Ghost. The battleship we toured was not the original Grey Ghost, nor was the Queen Mary. Cassandra and I always equate that to the movie The Princess Bride, where the dread pirate just kept changing people. So he wasn't the original, and the guy before him was not the original, nor was the man before him. The real one had been long retired. So you get the point. During its time at sea, the Queen Mary ferried more than 2 million peacetime passengers and right around 810,000 military personnel. 49 documented people died during its almost 1,000 Atlantic crossings, and some of those have been reported to linger. Walter Adamson passed away in 1948 in stateroom B340, which to this day is touted to be the ship's most haunted space. Two decades later, a woman staying in the room woke when her sheets were pulled off of her body. She saw a man standing at the foot of her bed and screamed. She claims that as soon as she screamed, the man became transparent and then disappeared. Now, we can't attest to that, being that we weren't there, which brings us to our phone call from our unnamed friend. Currently, the Queen Mary is closed to the public. It has been turned into a floating motel. We'll let you know that. But right now it's closed because they're remodeling it. It is scheduled to open, I believe, this week, so it, it might actually be opened at this point. Which brings us to my friend and her crew. They were there exchanging services, particularly in the restaurant 
industry. And I shouldn't divulge what they were up to because I think it's kind of a corporate secret. But they're staying on the ship. They get to stay on the Queen Mary for about four or five days. Now, they are given free run of only certain areas of the ship. Enter the urban exploring. It seems that my friend decided that she was going to go out on deck to a restricted area that they were not supposed to be on, even in the daytime. But she had awakened early in the morning and snuck out there to get some air. She heard a lot of noise, like people moving and voices, and spooked her a little bit because she loves ghost stories, but she is not a believer in ghosts. She has had several paranormal experiences. And I'm always the first one she calls. So she has that experience and she wants to scurry back down and get in her berth before someone catches her out where she's not supposed to be. As she comes around the corner and sees the backside of the ship to hit the stairs, she sees another ship docked behind them. It's older than the Queen Mary, a little bit smaller. She described it as an old pirate ship. She goes down, goes back to sleep, wakes up with her friends, packs, goes to have breakfast with what they refer to as the captain. Now, keep in mind that the Queen Mary doesn't sail anymore. It's it's a floating motel, but it's not a touring floating motel. It sits. So the, she tells the captain, before you, we go to the taxi and go our separate ways, can you please arrange a tour for us? He says, well, ma'am, you had the tour of every part of the ship we would allow you to see. She says, no, no, not this ship, the ship that's docked behind us on the starboard side. Now, I wasn't there, but she explains the look on his face to be one of partial disgust and one of looking like someone just walked over your grave. He looks at her and he says, you are mistaken, young lady. There is no ship behind us. We'll have no further discussion about such things. Thank you all for your service. And one of the pursers will see you down to the cab. Now, there are five of them, so it's not a regular taxi cab. It's more of a, a limo kind of a cab or a van cab. So they're all talking about this incident on their way to the airport. The taxi driver hastily pulls over, comes to a stop, turns completely around in his seat and says, tell me, tell me about the ship you saw. So she does. Did you tell the captain about the ship, he asked? She said, well, yes, I did. And what did he say? She said he was very disrespectful and kind of gave me the dismissal. The driver went on to say that the captain of the vessel is related to him through marriage and that the reason you're restricted on certain nights from going out on the top deck of the ship is because many people have seen what they want to describe as the Flying Dutchman. Now, 
What do we think about that? This girl had no conversation about the Dutchman. Now, I know you knew that's where it was going because we touched on the Dutchman just a few minutes earlier. But she had no discussions about that. She was on a ship. They weren't talking about the Dutchman. They were talking about the things they had to do in the restaurant. Pirates never entered into the conversation. We're talking about a machine that does something to food and you know, how we're going to calibrate it and, th and that sort of thing. There was no, no talk about the past and the water. She didn't go out on the deck with the intention to do anything but get some fresh air. Now, as they came down that morning to leave the ship, she kept staring back at the ship and she told everyone the other ship is certainly docked behind it, but the reason we can't see it is because it's blocked by the ship. I don't believe that that was the case, but I'm not sure what the case was exactly because you and I were not there. But I can tell you that this person is a very sound mind and does not make things like that up. So, did she see the Dutchman? Did her mind invent it because some conversation she doesn't remember was initiated about it? Is science correct when it says there are no such things as ghosts? I can tell you I was visited by my Aunt Agnes that's on the podcast. And in my near-death experience, as we said before, I didn't see any tunnels of light or my dead relatives or anything like that. Houdini promised his wife that he would come back if he could, and he never came back. But I can tell you, in the five-plus decades I've done this, I've seen many things that are unexplainable. I've interviewed thousands of people who have believed every word of what they're saying. And I grew up in three haunted houses. You'll hear me say that a lot. Each a little more haunted than the first. So I believe it's like my daughter says, there is indeed a world unseen. A world that exists all around us all the time. And every now and then, for whatever the reason, we catch a glimpse of it, and the dead get in. We're going to do another episode tomorrow, which basically recaps our year a little bit and may tell a new story or two. If you are the people who say Merry Christmas, my family was, then Merry Christmas. If you're a Happy Holidays person, then Happy Holidays. We've written a brand new show for this coming season. When you get a chance, you should see it. You can book it for a private affair. So like us, share us, help us to spread the word. You can share your email with us with confidence. We do not share your email with anyone. Take care of yourselves this evening. And I wish I could show you what it looks like outside of our door right now. It's cold and rainy. It's Oregon. 
but there is an unearthly fog. And as I look out the window of this office toward the end of our property, which is about three football fields long, there's a three-story building down there for storage that has motion sensor lights in it. Now, the building is closed. Nobody's supposed to be in there. But you can sit here and look at the top floor windows, and every now and then, the center hallway light will come on. I've had the motion detectors tested by, count them, two electricians from different companies. There's nothing wrong with them. Something's tripping them. Every door in the building is locked. We've gone through it several times. What's the scientific explanation for that, I wonder? Or is something from the past, like the Dutchman, crossing into our field, our frequency? I'm Dr. G. Thank you for listening to Spirit Tales and Magic. And until we see you in person, my friends, we'll see you inside your mind. Good night.